Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. Hopefully, you guys are having a good week when you're listening to this. We're here to bring you some content, some camp coverage, some discussions about our schedule this year. And we've got our top five quarterbacks since 2005, the first uh, and for the last list, the first time we're talking about quarterbacks historically on this show. We've got our rankings. We're doing it a little differently this time around. And as always, I am here with Jordan Williams. And I feel like I can say as always now, like for a while, it's like I'm here with Jordan Williams. But now I feel like I can say as always with Jordan Williams. Yeah, I think I think that's safe to say now. Uh, but yeah, how you doing today, Jordan? Uh, I mean, I'm, do- I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's, it's one day closer to football season. What, a week from tomorrow, we have our first games with the Thursday night games. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. It's gone quick, though. Like, that's the thing that's like, it's like, man, like, I'm excited for football season, but that means it's already August. The year has gone quick. It's about to be winter. So I just try not to think about all of that. Um, it's football season. That's all that matters. I'm doing good. Yeah, we're Ezekiel Elliott days away from starting the football season. That is the closest we've been since the end of last football season. So that's got me excited. Uh, it seems like the camp stuff slowed down a little bit. It seems like we've kind of settled in a little bit on some position battles, seeing how the offensive line's lining up, seeing the treatment of CJ Stroud today at practice with his rest day. We're recording on a Wednesday, everybody. So. That was the last thing we had uh, before you guys hear it. And honestly, I'm just kind of intrigued with a few more position battles we're going to talk about later. But I guess I kind of want to go back in time a little bit more and sort of discuss the scrimmage. So, uh, I mean, I kind of came away very excited from what I was reading and some of the players who stepped up, who had good days. I'm looking at the list of champions right now. Was there anyone on that champions list who surprised you? Um, I actually haven't seen the champions list. If I'm being completely honest, I just realized that you linked it. Um, I think, well, just pulling it up immediately, the one that kind of surprised me the most is Marcus Crowley. But I've heard some good things about Marcus Crowley. Um, it, it seems like he's really crowded in the room. Um, I think that you know if. 
I think he could have been a decent back for us, although I'm not 100% sure that he meets up to the, you know, top of the line standards that we've had coming off of JK and even slightly a Trey Sermon just with his last run, just the running backs we've had in general. Um, I would say no one else really surprised me. Oh, and then obviously Demario McCall surprised me. Um, just because it's Demario McCall. I mean, he's always had it in him, right? But it seems like this is not like a fluke, right? It seems like he's actually really good. He had a little experience in high school, and they're saying he's like a sponge, which is helpful because he's just, you know, doing exactly what they're telling them. And we have some of the best DB coaches in uh, the nation. Everything we're hearing in practice is good. The fact that he graded as champion, I think that's a good sign that, you know, maybe you don't want him to be the starter, but we all know that we like a rotation at corner. And it seems like maybe he gets in that rotation. If he has a great year, maybe he's even a late round draft pick or, a, you know, a camp invite. So I would say Marcus Crawley and um, Demario McCall. Yeah. Before I get into the guys who surprised me a little bit, I kind of want to shout out Demario McCall a little bit. I know uh, he is an ultra talented athlete. And to be honest, I think that's hurt him a little bit, especially with Urban Meyer wanting him to be an age back and wanting him to be a running back. Then last year, they wanting him to be a wide receiver he's never really found a home on the offensive side of the ball at Ohio State and when the defensive coaches were talking about how excited they were to get Demario McCall I was like "Ah, I mean he's a good athlete we'll see what happens and his improvement from the time he started playing you know we saw him make some plays in the spring game it was kind of surprising everyone's like yeah Demario but it seems like he's actually got business being out there, and that made me really excited for the guy because, you know, his career has not panned out in the way his recruiting profile would have said in the way a lot of people expected it to, and that, it's got me excited. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and that's the one thing that that's kind of tough with with athletes in general is they always say, like, if you don't like you don't have a position, um, you're going to struggle. And like, it's great to be like, I'm an athlete. I can play everywhere, but you hear it a lot with, um, with, I think Cam Martinez was the latest one. They're like, well, he could play offense or he could play defense. And everyone's like, where's he going to play? And as soon as he got here, they narrowed in that like, he's most likely going to play defense yeah. uh, because you don't want to keep bouncing around, uh, especially when you're at a school like Ohio state, Alabama, any of those types of places where everyone's really, really good. Like if you're bouncing around, you're never going to be the best person in that room because you're not getting the time and dedication that everyone else in that room of similar talent is getting. Yeah, and I, I agree with that 100 percent. Sometimes when you are so good at everything, uh, but not great at anything, it kind of puts you behind at whatever position they put you in. And that's kind of what I felt happened to him this year or the past couple of years. And I think uh, having a coaching staff, having a coach, a position coach in Coombs and the defensive back coaches and Matt Barnes, uh, believe in him. I think that's actually a huge step in getting there. Uh, but for my players who surprised me, I, I saw two names on the cornerback position. Uh, I wasn't surprised really at many of the other positions. Uh, but Denzel Burke is a guy who was not coming in as like the highly uh, respected, like five-star recruit, the highly touted guy. He's a very ultra-talented athlete, and he's showing it at cornerback. And I was reading today that a lot of people think if Cam Brown or Seven Banks aren't good to go by season start, Denzel Burke might be the guy getting the call. From like going into this kind of as an under-the-radar recruit for however a high four-star guy can be, he's really made a name for himself. 
And then the other guy in that same vein is Ja'Kalen Johnson. Those two guys grading out as champions got me really excited, especially with our struggles at defensive back. And then, like, honestly, looking at the whole offensive line grading out as champions, that's really exciting. No, I agree. I think we talked about it before of our, you know, the dip that we had in recruiting in the cornerback position and that kind of being shown on the field um, and that dip coinciding with Kerry Coombs not being there. Um, and so it's exciting that this is happening, but it's also uh, I don't want to say expected because it's early, but it's what you want to hear, because that's always what happened at Ohio State. Maybe not so much the champions, but you always heard of the freshmen flashing. They just their the room was too crowded for them to get on the field, right? Which is why we had a lot of run at one and done corners. But I think if we can get back to that, where whether these two play or not, whether it's only like special teams, punt coverage, that kind of stuff, the fact that they're grading out this early and they're getting some first team reps and things like that. Any injuries happen, they're in there in a perfect world. There's no injuries. Maybe they don't play that much, but they're ready for next year. Um, and they're young, so I think we're gonna get them. You know, they should both have two years as starters and maybe this be this is their year as kind of off and on. But I mean, they should be if, if that's the case, maybe. I mean, we can't project that far, but if this is the case, they probably have the inside, you know, um, outlook to being starters next year. And then they have another year of eligibility. So that could really lock down our corner spot for the next two, three years. Yeah. And then on top of that, what you were saying about like Kerry Coombs being a very big guy when it comes to rotating corners, the more guys you have, the more fresh our best corners are going to be at the end of games, at the end of the season. If you could trust guys to come in and do some, third quarter some series while you're up a couple scores or even in like a 10 point game where it could change any minute you could still trust these guys to come out every snap that you could rest an important player will benefit us more at ohio state in the postseason and i think that's a very underrated aspect because last year when you saw it we had four corners playing really we only had four corners that could play and that kind of it really ate them up at the end of the season you could tell yeah, especially when technically three of them are on the field at the same time, really four of them are on the field at the same time against Alabama, uh, a Clemson, those types of teams, even at Indiana now. So it's like you have your only four corners on the field. Anything happens, you have no one else. And also, you know, I, th- I know a lot of people kind of hated on Coombs for that rotation thing because it's not typical, but just like – if you think about it, every other position really rotates except offensive line and quarterback. And you have these wide receivers who run 70 yards down the field and then they just walk off the field because like they need a break and they slide in another wide receiver. Well, if you don't rotate your corners, your corner just ran 70 yards with the wide receiver. Has to run 70 yards back. Yeah, and then line up for the next play with the fresh wide receiver who was just sitting on the bench drinking Gatorade. And can't give up a play like you. Yeah, you want your lockdown corners, whatever. But like you want some sort of rotation and you want everyone to be at the same level. So if they do, you know, if it's a regular drive, no, you don't take them out there in shape. They can do that. But if they're, you know, up against a deep ball threat guy and they're running all over the field, you can slide someone in for two or three plays without breaking down the integrity of the defense. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the schedule. I mean, it's not like. Ohio State's going to be playing a lot of slouches at receiver. You've got guys like Jahan Dotson. You've got guys like Ty Freifogel at Indiana. You've got guys who can take the top off the defense in the conference. And at the end of games, you're going to want your lockdown guys, if any of these games are close, to be as fresh as they possibly can be. 
So just having trust in those guys, and that's what I was excited about seeing them graded out as champions, is I think there's a lot more guys in that room that Kerry Coombs can trust this year. No, I, I agree. Um, they're all young, which we talked about, but that happens. That's good. Ohio State's a young team. Yeah. You're not always going to have old teams. Um, I think it's really just building that rotation back up again. Um, and we're going to have some guys who are three-year guys again. Um, and so we're going to stay, you know, relatively young. But this is, you know, allowing them showing allows our next round of, you know, corners to get some playing time, but really get to relax, get older, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's essentially it's just building the room. And that's exactly what we needed to do. Yeah. We needed to build the room. Because last year, I think if we really had to look at any position room, uh, the defensive backfield as a whole was pretty thin last year. Uh, so I think just seeing that it's, I guess, thickening up, I guess would be one way to put it, is something that we should all be excited about. And uh, – like you said, they're young, so there's going to be some inconsistencies. There's still going to be some mistakes with these guys, but uh, seeing them play well is exactly what we want to see at this point in time. And then I guess the last thing before we kind of move on to some of the other stuff about the practices this week is the whole offensive line, the starters all grading out as champions. I think one thing we kind of went underrated here is ever since they moved Paris Johnson Jr. to guard there, Munford to guard, uh, I think we might have the best offensive line unit in the country. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I thought we had the best offensive line unit in the country coming in, and that's not a homer thing. It's just um, all of our guys came back. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, a lot of people lost their really talented offensive linemen, which typically happen. Um, obviously, again, Alabama has Evan Neal, who may be the best offensive lineman in the country. But when you talk about a whole unit, all of our guys came back. I mean, everyone on the line is a multiple year starter except Paris Johnson, right? Well, it, well now Dewan Jones, but what we had projected before, yeah, you had- we had two tackles, multi-year starters. Then you had Matt Jones, who played a lot, and then Harry Miller, right. who played a lot. And is moving back to his natural position. And then the, the, the only spots that were left were going to be filled, like you said, by Paris Johnson, Matt Jones, who both played. So it's like you have three people with starting experience, two people who got two experience, like as number two on the depth chart experience is what I'm trying to say. That's an experienced line and they're all talented. Yeah. And I just think, I, I just think this unit is going to become extremely noticed. And I, 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 I hate, I hate it because I'm blanking on that trophy that they give out. I think it's like the, the Moore award or something where they give out to the offensive line unit. I think this, uh, the Joe Moore award or something like yeah, that. Something like that. I think this is the best opportunity we've had at having an offensive line win that award. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I think we should have won it a couple of years. Yeah. Um, already. And I'm really, I'm really confused on how we didn't. Um, like the year that LSU won it, I think they just gave it to them because they won the national championship. Yeah, I, think I don't that believe that we LSU had, had the best. LSU never has the best offensive line in the country. And you tell me like they did, like not that it's bad, but they never have the best offensive line in the country. And then that year they just sweep all the awards. Yeah. Best quarterback, best wide receiver, best offensive. Like, I think they just kind of threw that in. They're like, here, just sweep everything. You got every other award. We'll just give you this one too. Yeah, because hindsight, like how many of those guys went to the league? How many of those guys were NFL guys? That I can't think of one off the top of my head. And that might just be because I, I didn't pay much attention to their offensive line because they had so many other stars. But I don't know one. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like if there was one, we know. 
I mean, I'm an offensive line guy, so like I may not be able to recall names, but like I always know who some of the best offensive line prospects are because I just feel like I'm into every aspect of football and offensive line is fun. And like, especially now with like how athletic and things they are, the good ones stand out. Like the really like Quentin yes. Nelson stood out yeah. before he went right. Evan Neal stands out. Um, like the um, Makai Becton stood out. Yeah. Like they all stand out in college. You see the highlights. You see the things. So it's like I I don't know anyone from that offensive line. I couldn't name any of them. Yeah, and I think that's something where uh, I, I I know offensive linemen don't always get the glory, but even last year it felt like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis were pretty household names across the country. You would have thought, and I, I think that generally speaking, a lot of outlets really recognize them. But uh, I mean, outside of that award, like I know our offensive line had as much as we talked about, about them high PFF grades. They were very well respected last year. We had a lot of those players who were highly projected in the draft. And I guess uh, I think that's, I think this line's going to be even better than that offensive line. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, they're both projected NFL starters as rookies. Wyatt Davis is going to start for the Minnesota Vikings, and Josh Myers is going to start at center, replacing Corey Lindsley, who was also an Ohio State guy, for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And that's Aaron Rodgers. Like, you don't just put anyone in front of Aaron Rodgers. You know, like, the the level of intelligence you have to have to be the center for Aaron Rodgers? Or any, like, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Like, that job is intense, more intense than just a center job in general because you have to be able to match the intellect of your quarterback and, and keep to their standards of what they're trying to do at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, what and they're as a saying. rookie, he's getting that job. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it just shows exactly the job Coach Stud has done. And I know Coach Stud gets kind of a lot of hate due to some of the recruiting losses. But when it comes to actually coaching the offensive lineman up, when it comes to actually having them ready to play, he has never failed the kids in that regard. Oh, yeah, that's facts. And I don't think I don't I don't know that he ever will. And I think that's why he's he's kept the job, even when people have called for it and things like that. It's why he kept kept the job. Yes, you want to see him get those five stars that aren't from Ohio that you kind of, quote unquote, like into. You don't want to see him lose um, the offensive lineman that went to Clemson, who who turned out to not have that great of a career. But like you don't know that. And with our development, he Carmen uh, Jackson, Carmen, you don't want to see him lose a guy like that. Right. But as soon as he gets a guy in the room, i.e. Dewan Jones, I mean, Nicholas Petit Freer was the number one tackle, but he had to put on like 50 pounds, which is why yeah. he didn't play immediately. And he put on that weight and developed to be better um, and developed to live up to the hype of him coming in, which is which goes to stud and the strength and conditioning staff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And I guess uh, one more scrimmage takeaway and one more practice takeaway from this week so far. You know, the running backs have been exceptional. I know we brought up Marcus Crowley and that gang. Uh, I think they're getting more and more buzz, especially Travion Henderson. But uh, the receiving room, I mean, excited. Everything good out of there. I think the positions we're still talking about. There's two more I want to get into before we move on. Uh, The linebackers are banged up with injuries. All right. And I know we've talked about them a lot on this show and kind of how we're not skeptical, but we're just not sure what that group can be. And it's kind of been our running conversation throughout the offseason with that group. 
but they're banged up. You've got guys who aren't even going to play rotating into the ones due to injury on some practices. Uh, how does that kind of affect your opinion on them coming into the season? I think that I already like I my opinion on linebackers specifically has like bottomed out almost um, at the at the beginning. I was very high. And I remember saying, like, you know, it doesn't matter that they're looking for these transfers. Like we have guys who have been in the room. You know, Pete Warner was really good. So we had Millie Harrison. It, it wasn't an, an, an indictment on them that they didn't play, things like that. But as it goes on and you keep hearing reports and they keep adding transfers. And as we mentioned before, they move over steel chambers and things like that. It just um it has me a little concerned. I think we have a guy or two, but I don't think we have a unit. And I think that's kind of what scares me. Then you also look at the recruiting. They initially had three linebackers in this class. And part of it's because they're older, but they had three linebackers in this class before um, McCullough went to Indiana with his dad and stuff like that. So I think we have a couple of guys. Um, what would concern me is what you were saying. They're banged up. Um, I did read that, you know, a lot of them aren't dealing with long-term injuries yeah. it's just kind of like camp injuries and like linebacker and running back are where you kind of get those the most um but it's definitely concerning like if there was one area of concern for me it would be linebackers and that is unfortunate because i started the offseason very high on them and i'm hoping it's just like negative news and not like actually what's being seen in practice and uh I think I hope it's people like kind of projecting on the position. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I had this, the, the only concern I have is even though guys like Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gann and Kevon Pope have played snaps, you know, the younger guys seem like they're very talented, the Cody Simons and such. But I, I think this was an off season where you needed to get them every rep that mattered, you know, as many reps as you could before the season starts, because for what it's worth, tough Borland may not have been the most talented guy, but he knew every single thing and knew where he had to be. Uh, so if you don't have that capability, you need to be in practice. You need to be taking as many reps so you can see as much as the game as possible. And I guess that's why it kind of raised my eyebrow in a little concerning way. But I just I just think uh, this position's unsettled. Uh, I think there's a lot of talent in the room, but I think you nailed it on the head there. It's the lack of being a unit right now that worries me. Yeah, um, I think it's concerning, but I think we have a good I think we have a good wide receivers, a a good linebackers coach, finally. And I think we have pieces in other places that it shouldn't kill us. I think I think the biggest thing as at least for me, I know they're going to know how to tackle. Right. And I know now that Bill Davis isn't there. They're going to be lined up in the right spots. And when you have a, such a talented defensive line and what seems to be a talented secondary, what, what we're hoping, what we're hearing, I think you can be weak at linebacker as long as they don't allow the big plays. Meaning as like as long as they don't allow that 50-yard run up the middle. Like they may be a little bit of a liability and pass coverage, but that's where the bullet comes in and things like that. So I, don't, I also don't think we're going to see a whole bunch of true linebackers. So I think as long as they can maintain against the run, 
I think we can survive. The The problem is going to be if it's like the Bill Davis years where they're missing tackles at the line of scrimmage and letting running backs get a full head of steam at, up at the safeties. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point. I think the defensive line and the level of talent on the interior, especially with Haskell Garrett, uh, Teron Vincent, uh, Noah Potter had a really good camp uh, so far. Uh, you see a lot of stuff and a lot of names in there who are really going to make the linebackers' jobs easier because you played linebacker yourself. When you have a good defensive lineman who can eat up blocks in the run game, what does that do? It allows you to scrape. It allows you to analyze the play. It allows you to find the holes and fill them a lot easier. And I think that's going to be very advantageous for whichever group gets the nod to go out there. And I think this is going to be a big rotation group too. I don't think we're going to see the same two linebackers on the field at all. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that I think you made an important point. I think, you know, I, and maybe I'm hoping this, maybe I'm trying to speak into existence. I think people's issues with the linebackers isn't that they're not good. I'm hoping that maybe it's just that we don't have the guy. Like we don't have the Ryan Chazier. Um, you know, we don't have really like the Malik Harrison or the um Raekwon McMillan, right? Yeah. And so I think that scares people, myself included. But as long as as a unit, they get the job done. That's what matters. It's great to have the guy, but as long as the unit can function. And I think they have a lot of talent and they have a lot of different body types. And they finally, you know, three years in, which it does take time to recruit for it. They finally have recruited for the bullet position instead of trying to fit linebackers into that position, which I think ultimately is going to help the whole thing and I do think that you know Dallas Gant, Kayvon Thibodeau, Taraja, Taraja Mitchell they're um, they're kind of like that last line uh, before of a defensive shift like a mindset shift of what our linebackers look like yeah. I think they're kind of like the beginning of it before they fully figured out what they what they wanted the linebackers to be and so I think that may be some of the concern but I think as a unit you know, as long as they're effective as a unit and again, as long as they're stopping plays when they should be and not allowing big runs or just totally, you know, being in the wrong spot in pass coverage, I think we can survive. Yeah, no, and I think that's where I'm at with you as well. I think I'm not like I'm not scared that this group's gonna be bad. I'm just I'm a little nervous they're not gonna be as good as we need them to be in a way, I guess would be the best way I could put it. Uh, I think guys like Taraja Mitchell, I think guys like Dallas Gant, Kevon Pope, they've really cut their teeth in the program. They really deserve this opportunity to show how great they are. Uh, the bullet position makes it interesting because now there's mostly going to be two linebackers playing, especially when you got guys like Court Williams, Ronnie Hickman, who are bigger safeties legitimately. Craig Young's one of them as well. They're 225 pounds but move like most defensive backs. So that's going to that's gonna mitigate a lot of the challenges that you'd have defensively. Uh, so I'm excited for that. And then I guess lastly, uh, C.J. Stroud's resting today. Uh, do you rest a starter? Or, I mean, I guess I blanked. I guess I – do you rest a guy who's not starting his arm? Well, according to the way Ryan Day worded it, the answer is yes, but I don't know if I believe it. He he said it was – he said something along the lines like it was his day, and then he, like, mentioned, like, all the quarterbacks. Like, we want them to get rest, and, like, we let – like, we – 
do it based on them, like how tired the quarterbacks are and how much they've been throwing and stuff like that. But I'm not sure that I believe that. Um, to bring up everyone's favorite quarterback, Quinn Ewers, obviously who did just get there, he's doing extra work after practice. So like, I don't really believe that like, Kyle McCord has had a rest day or like Jack Miller's had a rest day. We haven't heard that. So I don't think, I think to what you're getting at, I don't think you rest a guy who's not the starter. Yeah. And I, I think the reason I pointed that out was because I, I think you brought it up. Jack Miller hasn't got a rest day. Kyle McCord hasn't got a rest day because guess what? Every single person would have wrote about a quarterback, not throwing as much, not getting as many reps, but as we've seen throughout all of the quarterbacks have been getting a ton of reps, getting as many reps as they can. And then another quote from Ryan Day was he said, it's a really good opportunity for those two guys today. It was a really good opportunity to get them reps with a one. And now, you know, what I'm kind of starting to see is a little bit of a competition between those two guys, Kyle McCord and Jack Miller. Yeah, um, from what I from what I read today and what I've read before, it seems that Kyle McCord is also separating himself. Um, even there was a Garrett Wilson. Um, there's like someone posted I read like right before we started recording of Garrett Wilson's interview on Big Ten Network, and basically he was like C.J. Stroud just drops the ball in there and compared him to Russell Wilson, and then he was like Kyle McCord is the hardest working guy on the field uh, since he stepped in. He's the one that's always getting us out there to throw, get extra practice, and things like that. And then like for Jack Miller, it was like, and he's the hype guy. Like he's always excited and he always brings good energy. And, like, your best or second best wide receiver, like, the attribute he shows to you, like, isn't about your arm or how you throw the ball or anything like that. It's about, like, the energy you bring to the sideline. I don't think that's a, a – I think that's very telling. Yeah. Um, it's almost like he was – I don't want to say fishing because I'm sure the compliment meant something and it was true, but it almost felt like he was fishing for a compliment. And, like, I complimented the other two quarterbacks. He's technically in the competition. Let me say something about him. Um, yeah. And, and that's kind of how it feels a little bit. Yeah, and I know we read the same guys. I know Bill Landis wrote about it today. He said this is the biggest differentiator between McCord. McCord makes a lot of decisions quick and lives with them. Jack Miller's a little bit more hesitant, but once he makes his decision, it's usually the best decision. So uh, it's quick decisions and some errors. It's long decisions that kind of get made into errors because they're long decisions. But I I guess they're just two different types of quarterbacks competing. Uh, I think I'm with you that Kyle McCord separated a little bit from what I've read. And I I do think that – Ryan Day is going to keep that competition open a lot longer than well, he's keeping them all open longer than we thought, but he's going to keep that one open at least until next year. And then lastly, Quinn Ewers. Uh, did you hear what Ryan Day said about Quinn Ewers today and throughout today, the week? I'm not, so uh, what I've heard, I'll, I'll tell you what I think you're talking about and just see if it's what you're talking about. I basically heard a whole bunch of we're happy that he's here, but he's very, very behind and we're taking it very, very slow. Yeah, that's what I was kind of going to lean at. Uh, I remember when he first showed up, he said, yeah, we're still trying to help him figure out where he's going to stretch. That is a subtle, not jab, but like a subtle hint to the media that this guy is not going to be a contributor this year. And I think we're right. Yeah, now like him saying that and what he said so far, it makes me feel even less that he's going to even play at all because they were talking about today. They were like, part of the reason he stays after practice is they're te- like they don't have time to teach him the offense. Yeah. So in in practice, he doesn't do the team drills. 
he just does some one on like some, you know, throwing deep balls, that kind of stuff, just to use his arm. And then he sits out for team drills. And then afterwards, one of the analysts or GAs or whoever is helping like teach him formations and really just teach him the offense. And so it's like, you're not going to learn. Like, I don't care how smart you are, especially in season when they don't have the time to teach it because everything's about game planning. Yeah. You're not going to learn this offense. Um, and and that's unfortunate. And that's why I wrote the article. And that's why I said before, like, this is not the best case scenario for him outside of the money. It's not the best case scenario for him to come in unless you're looking at it long term, yeah. long term and saying he gets an extra six months of physical development. But I don't think he's really going to get mental or on-field development into the spring. Yeah, and there's obviously going to be benefits from sitting in the film room, learning from that point. But like you said, we are two weeks away from the first game, uh, 13 days from when this show's released. It is ramp-up time. It is time to lock in, get the one set, get the depth chart set, and get playing real football, get real game planning going. And there's not time to coddle anybody at this point if you're behind you're behind you got to catch up on your own and that's what it's about in the season it's about winning championships and you can't do Mm -hmm. that while you're babying one quarterback when you should be preparing the starter for minnesota for oregon for those guys exactly and you know being i I know you've been in college and college locker rooms and i have too when the season starts, the walk-ons or, or the players who aren't on your travel rosters, the ones who aren't really going to play, they get no focus. I mean, in some programs, they have different lifting they times. Separate. They have different film study times. Like, there's not a whole lot of times where they're even together as a full team yeah. because, like, they have to get their own work where, like, they're the priority. But, like, the on-field coaches don't get a lot of time with them because it's it's – it's the next day. It's the next week. Everything's scripted. Everything's like the travel. You leave on Thursdays or Friday, whatever that is. They're so focused in season. That's why you have all the analysts. That's why you have the GAs. That's why you have yeah. the strength and conditioning 100%. staff, which is totally different. So it's just like Quinn Ewers is at a disadvantage. And it's not just him. You it's- know what I mean? Every player in that position, anyone who's not going to see a significant time, anyone who's redshirting is going through the same thing. He's just more high profile. Yeah. And I think one thing is like when you were talking about scout team, like when I was in junior college, when I was on the scout team, we had different meetings to prepare as a scout team for our opponent. So I'm not saying Quinn's going to be the scout team guy. I know we've got some walk-on quarterbacks for that. But at the end of the day, uh, I'd want him going up against our defense every day. I, I think learning from that point of view would be huge for him. I think that I honestly, I think that would be his best bet to be the scout team quarterback. But I wonder, I mean, I don't know how it works at a program like Ohio State, but I wonder if like the the scout team reps are going to go to Jack Miller as the third quarterback. So like to keep him ready. Yeah. Um, But I think the best bet for Quinn is to get scout team reps because he's throwing against the ones. And so he's going to get that development, even if he's not learning the offense. Yeah, and I, it's just, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, knock Quinn. I don't want to, like, bring him down or anything. It's just a tough situation. I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to come in. He's going to learn. He's going to take this by the horns and make it better, uh, make a good situation out of it. So I, I just think it's it's just an interesting topic. I think the way Ryan Days yeah. talked about him was something I wanted to bring up because he has put no indication on Quinn Ewers even getting reps this year. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. That's not a knock on him. It's just the facts. Like, and he's at a disadvantage. He's very talented, but he's at a disadvantage. I mean, one of the things that Bill Landis said is that, you know, his short and immediate throws are beautiful, but he has a lot of work on his deep balls because he has to work on his footwork. And that is something that Ryan Day isn't going to accept in a starter. That's something you're going to accept as a, a, I don't want to call him a project because he's really good. That's something you're going to accept from a younger player who's yeah. learning the position and the intricacies. But as a starter, you can't have bad feet that mess up your deep ball, things like that. So it's, it's just the realities of being an 18-year-old freshman going into Ohio State, no matter how talented you are. Um, when's the last time Ohio State had a freshman start at, corner, at quarterback? Uh, it had to be uh, Terrell Pryor and then Braxton Miller. Back, and well, but they didn't start the first game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, I mean, that's just that's just the way it goes. It's not disparaging him. It's not bringing him down. It's nothing bad against him. It's just that's how it was always going to go. As fans just didn't think it was going to go that way. Yeah, and we've kind of been on that the whole time. So, yeah, I guess moving forward, uh, I mean, we talked about a lot of unsettled positions. I think we'll just cut that one out because we kind of just did that with our camp conversation. But I want to look at Ohio State's 2021 season here. Uh, I know we haven't really talked about the schedule much on this show. I think with next week kind of being our preview for the Minnesota game, Oh, with next week kind of being our first real game show. And then the following week kind of being a review show. Um, it's going to be uh, tough to kind of get into the whole schedule. So we're doing that now. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to have an open conversation about this. Uh, we'll kind of go with our predictions at the end because we're in the, we're, we have the exact same prediction. But Ohio State, I, I know everyone likes to talk about trap games. I know everyone likes to see where we can lose. Where are the biggest landmines in the schedule for Ohio State? I don't think the first two games can be considered a landmine. I don't think Tulsa or Akron will be landmines, and you've got Rutgers and Maryland. Uh, I'm going to say two wins there, and then you've got – this is probably where I think the toughest part of the schedule is. Indiana on the road, the 23rd, but you get them after a bye week or – uh, yeah, bye week. We'll go with that. And then Penn State, you get them at home the following week. That's the only place where I really see uh, a possible added challenge on the schedule. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and my, you know, on the I-70 football show, we're breaking down all the teams. And Penn State and Indiana are my third and fourth best team in the Big Ten. Um, and after Wisconsin. And the one thing that I said is, you know, even then is that Penn State or Indiana may be better than Wisconsin. Um, it's just that you don't know. And Wisconsin is going to get to the Big Ten championship game because they're on the other side of the division. I guess we will find out if they're better because Penn State plays Wisconsin, I believe. And maybe Indiana does, too. Um, but those are they're two. They're somewhere two through four in the Big Ten and have them back to back is definitely tough. Um I think it's a benefit that they have them in October, though, because that is six games in a bye week into the quarterback season. So by then, C.J. Stroud, as expected, should be um, settled 
has some tough competition, some easy competition. That bye week is a lot of self-scouting, learning, that kind of stuff. And it's two weeks to prepare. And I imagine that the coaching staff is going to take that week to prepare for both teams, um, not just Indiana, who they, who they get right after the bye. So it's the toughest part of the schedule, but it's also, in my opinion, the best time to get them. Yeah, I agree. Because, uh, I, I mean, I could I don't think you consider either a trap game with Indiana coming off a bye week and then all also being our closest game last year and then Penn State just kind of being the team that's been the closest to Ohio State the last decade I'd say so I you can't really call that a trap game but it is the toughest part of the schedule uh I think the other thing I want to talk about is where do we see any places outside of those two that Ohio State might stumble and I guess it's kind of tough because I don't think Nebraska is going to be very good. I don't think Purdue is going to be great this year, and they haven't beat Ohio State in the horseshoe since the 80s. Uh, Michigan State, I don't know what Mel Tucker is going to bring, but I don't think they have enough talent to really hang out with Ohio State on the football field. And then obviously with the cancellation, I think Ohio State's going to come out with so much ill will towards that team up north. I, I just can't see them losing this one. So for me, the only place I can see them them stumbling is against Minnesota. Um, Minnesota, I think, is an above average team in the Big Ten. I'm not sure that they're good. They're definitely not great, but they're above average. But honestly, the the one thing that I have that's that why they would struggle is what happens in the beginning of every season. Nobody knows how to tackle. Like no one anywhere across the nation knows how to tackle. And Ohio State has the tendency to let Big Ten running backs have big games. Um, We won the game. But do you remember 2018 or 2019 when Maryland's running back had like 250 on it? 2018 with Dwayne Haskins and they could have beat us on that two point conversion. And the guy was wide open. it, It could be something like that. Um, it's early. It's, an, it's a better team than you typically face week one. Um, they have the best running back in the Big Ten. Unless they have the best running back in the Big Ten currently. Travion Henderson or someone could be better than him, but we haven't seen that. As far as a returning starter, they have the best running back in the Big Ten. Um, they have a huge offensive line, uh, which helps in week one games. I, I don't think it's – I'm not going to predict it as a stumble or it's a loss because I don't think – I don't think they have anything else that really scares Ohio State, but you can win a game racking up 250 rushing yards yeah. um, for one player, 300 plus as a team. So I would say them for all the factors I just said. Yeah, and I think you, you kind of took mine there. I, I think Maryland's a team that always plays us weird. And if Talia Tagovailoa and the receivers are as good as people are projecting, uh, I think they could kind of get us into a shootout a little bit if the defensive backs aren't as good as last year. Uh, Indiana, they returned Ty Freifogel and quite a bit of offensive talent from last year. Michael Panix Jr. is coming off an injury, so I think seeing how well he plays early is going to be telling on what Indiana is. But yeah, overall, I just don't see that happening, so I kind of want to transition this conversation to what game on this schedule are you most excited about? I'm most excited, aside from... Uh, that team up north, which I think is cheating just because we didn't see it last year. I think I'm most excited for, I think I'm most excited for the Indiana. Well, no, I want to say the Indiana game, but that Indiana game wasn't as close as it, as the final score looked. 
I honestly think I'm most excited for Penn State. That's the game I'm always most excited for because Penn State is the second best team in the Big Ten, the one that we're going to face. I think um, Jahan Dotson is one of the better receivers in the Big Ten. A lot of people have like David Bell and Ty Freifogel over him and things like that. I'm not sure that I agree with that. I think he could very easily be the second or third best wide receiver, which would make him better than either Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. I would prefer to have them on our team. I think they fit better, but I think a pure talent, he's up there with them. Um, the the thing that I think hold him back is Sean Clifford's the quarterback, and he's terrible. I think if he had a really, I think if he had a good quarterback, he would be unlocked a little bit more. So Penn State, because they always play as close, I think they're going to be angry coming off that win. Um, Our supposed weakness is our secondary, and they have Jahan Dotson, who bullied us single-handedly last year. Uh, I think that's going to be a fun game. Yeah, Penn State's right up there for me. I'm really excited for the game on the road against Indiana, I think. Uh, I think Oregon and that team up north are both cheating a little bit. I think you can't really choose the big out-of-conference game. Everyone's excited for the Oregon game. Like, come on here. Uh, It's great. I think Ohio State is going to play really well against Oregon. But Indiana, I think their fan base has taken a step forward in their expectations for their team. And I think Ohio State fans have kind of been a little annoyed about that. We all know how it ended last year with Ohio State getting the Big Ten championship spot over Indiana after the Big Ten changed the arbitrary rule. So I think they're going to be out for revenge. Uh, So I'm excited. I think Tom Allen is a really good defensive mind. I think he's a guy who's going to have his best effort out there for us. But I do think Ohio State coming off of a bye week is going to also be ready to come and prove to everyone that that late run that Indiana went on was more of a fluke than Ohio State beating Indiana. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. Uh, I think I agree with everything that you said, honestly. Um, And I think the biggest thing is I think – if anyone, the person, the team that's going to challenge us the most is going to be Indiana. I don't think so offensively. I'm a big Michael Penix fan, but I just I don't know that they have enough juice offensively. But defensively, they have enough juice offensively to match with us because their defense is so good. And so I think Indiana is a little unlucky in the sense that we get them off of a bye. If this Indiana Penn State game was flipped and we played Penn State first, I think I might genuinely be worried about that game because Indiana is going to have a really good defense. But coming off of a bye, I think, you know, Tom Allen's a good coach, but Ryan Day is better. Uh, And Ryan Day is a better offensive coach than Tom Allen is a defensive coach, although I think it's close. Um, I'm just comfortable saying that. And I think you give him a bye, you give him, a bye week to scheme up, you know, against that defense. You give a better running game than what we had at the time that we played Indiana. I think, you know, that game is scary, but it's not as scary as it would have been if they came in a in a less fortunate part of the schedule. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we got lucky, Ohio State did. And it's just, I mean, this is going to be a good year. I think there's plenty of good games on it. The Big Ten's got four ranked teams. Obviously, whoever ends up in the Big Ten championship against 
Ohio State because that's my prediction. Ohio State's going to be in another Big Ten championship game. Uh, it adds a nice Big Ten West foe, so I don't think strength of schedule is going to be an issue this year. I think there's teams on the list that could improve. And I guess the last one, outside of that team up north, what is one road game on the schedule you'd want to attend? Mm. Road game. I think... No, Penn State's at home. Oregon's at home. I don't know. That's a hard one. Um, well, I, I really I want to cheat and say all of them because like one of my goals is to actually attend a game at every Big Ten stadium. You know how people like do that, like dads yeah. do it with their kids. I think it was more popularized in baseball. Um, I really want to do that at some point in life. So I want to say all of them, but I think if I had to pick one just off of this schedule, I would do. What, is Indiana at home too? Indiana's on the road. Uh, Rutgers, Indiana, Nebraska. Uh, those are the road games. Okay. Yeah, I thought Indiana – okay, there we go. Because, you know, typically it says verse or at, and for some reason mine was saying verse, and that was weird. I would say Indiana. Um, not that I really want to go to Indiana, but I think it's just going to be the best game. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I would say them. I think I want to go to Nebraska. Their historical stadium's unbelievable. I think the game day environment would probably be epic. And I know for a fact, if I'm going, Ohio State's walking out with a win. So it wouldn't be a that's, waste of money. That's fair. But I think I don't care if they walk away with a win. I want to go to the best game. They're going to blow out Nebraska. So, Scott Foster may be fired by that game. Yeah, we might not even know who's coaching Nebraska by week eight or week nine. I I just don't want to see them blow out Nebraska again. Um, So I I think I would say Indiana. Yeah, yeah. I I like that. I mean, I'm with it. I I like, I mean, I'd want to go to all of them too. I'm in that same boat. I would love to see a game in all 14 or 13 stadiums that I haven't yet. So. Yeah, I, I think uh, the schedule is favorable for Ohio State, but I don't think it's a weak schedule by any means. I think you've got some tough crossover teams, but I don't think you've got the best of the best. You don't get a Wisconsin, don't get a Northwestern on the regular season schedule. I think you kind of have your toughest game spread out a little bit. I know Indiana and Penn State are back-to-back, but I still think that's late enough into the season where I'm not feeling too uncomfortable about that scenario. And I'm one of the guys who I'm not sure how good I think Indiana is going to be. I have them anywhere from seven and five to like 10 and two. Uh, So they're kind of a coin flip for me. And it all relies on how healthy Michael Panix Jr. is, honestly. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I will say, and I want to say this almost confidently, I do think that Ohio State could lose to either Penn State or Indiana and still win the Big Ten just because they both have harder schedules than we do. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Penn State, I'm pretty sure they start out with Wisconsin. I'm not exactly sure how it works. Like maybe if they beat Ohio State but lose to Wisconsin, they would still get the East because it's separate side of the division. Um, So maybe, maybe I'm lying and I'm giving false hope. But I do think Ohio State could lose one of those games and still win the division because I think that they'll lose more. That would be Ohio State's only loss, um, and they both have tougher schedules. I don't see either one of those teams going 11-1. and one. Uh, I, I, th- I see Ohio State going 11-1. and one. So 
if they I see them going 12 and 0, but if they were to lose that game, I see them going 11 and 1. So I do think that this is a year that Ohio State could lose a game and still win the Big 10, still represent. I just don't think they will lose a game. Yeah. I guess that takes us to our predictions. I have Ohio State going 12 and 0, surprise surprise. <laughs> call me a homer, call you whatever you want. I just think Ohio State's roster from top to bottom is the best. I think the defensive backfield, the linebackers won't be a cause for concern by the time we get midway through the season. And I think you're going to be able to rely a lot on the run game. I think you're going to be able to rely a lot on the offensive line, the quarterback, the receiver to put up at least 45 a game. And I think a lot of teams are going to struggle to keep up with that. Yeah, I I think the quote-unquote issues that Ohio State has – People are over over hyping and I get it like Nick Saban is Nick Saban. So he gets a little bit more credit. But Ohio State has less roster turnover than Alabama and Clemson. Um, and people are, are saying, like, oh, well, they're going to be young and this, that and the third, whatever. But at the end of the day, we were it's safe to say we were bad on defense last year and still made it to the national championship game. We're obviously less at quarterback because we lost Justin Fields. Um but I think we're better at every other position. Like, you know, I think our offensive line is better. Harry Miller really struggled last year. I think our offensive line is better. I think our defensive line is going to perform better. Our secondary is definitely going to perform better. I don't know if we're better at linebacker. We already talked about that. But young or not, I think we're better. And we're definitely going to be better at running back. I mean, we were not good at running back until Master Teague's last two or three game stretch. Like, running back was ugly. Yeah. Um, if we're being honest. Yeah, outside so, of Trey Sermon's two games, it was actually oh, a really tough position to watch. I said Master T, but I meant Trey Sermon. Outside of his two-game stretch, it was really ugly, and he turned it on at the right moment. I think we're going to be better at every position except, obviously, quarterback, and we have the two best wide receivers in the country. I don't see how you can predict a down year for Ohio State. I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. Oh, sorry, I had to close the door real quick. I'll edit that out. Uh, my girlfriend just got home. Uh, but yeah, no, I think the schedule as a whole is a team. Uh, as a team, I, I just think the improvements that Ohio State's going to make put those last two games in an advantageous spot. I agree, and if we're being honest, they have an easy schedule. They do. I mean, they don't get they don't get Wisconsin. They don't get Iowa, although I'm not as high on Iowa as everyone else is, but they don't get Wisconsin. They don't get Iowa. They don't get Northwestern. They knew they had to play Indiana and Penn State, but I think those are beatable games. Their schedule could be a lot harder. And so I think with the talent upgrade, another year in the system, a full offseason, full camp, and a slightly easy easier schedule than what it could have been because they got the easier crossover games. I see 12 and now. Yep. And that's not homerism. That's analysis. That is us breaking down the schedule, us seeing what everyone's saying and looking at the rest of the Big Ten. And I just don't think anyone in this offseason has done anything to really close the gap. And also, even if it was homerism, at what point, and this is a question I was going to tweet, but I didn't know how to word it. At what point does Ohio State get the benefit of the doubt that Clemson and Alabama get? Like, again, I believe that Clemson and Alabama are better, are losing more on their roster than Ohio State did. And everyone's like, Alabama's the number one team in the country. Clemson's the number two team in the country, even though Ohio State literally blew them out in their last game. And they lost 
to some people, I'm not in that group, but to some people, they lost one of the greatest college quarterbacks ever, and is and at least for sure the best quarterback in there. Um, in their history. And yes, we saw DJ Uyunglele play a little bit. So people are a little bit more confident in him than CJ Stroud or whatever, but they lost everyone. They lost their, they lost the best quarterback in their history. They lost the best running back in their history. Their defense is terrible outside of their defensive line. Um, They lost all of their wide receivers. Justin Ross came back, but Justin Ross didn't play at all last year because he was injured and he just got cleared to play, which means he hasn't been involved in all of their camp. I'm just not seeing how you're more confident in Clemson or Alabama, but Ohio State doesn't get that same benefit of the doubt. Um, And all I I say that just to say it's going to be Ohio State until someone beats them. And Ryan Day hasn't shown that capacity to lose stupid games like Urban did yet. And so until he, you know, comes with a team that's not ready for the challenge, I'm going to assume that they're going to win until they face Alabama or potentially a Georgia or Texas A&M who's on their level. Yeah, and I think I think those are all great points. I think that's the same reason I'm in that boat. I, I, I don't get why Ohio State doesn't get the benefit of the doubt, but I guess at this point, if you're ranked in the top four teams, that kind of is the benefit of the doubt that you're going to be a playoff team, that you're going to win your conference championship as best as it could. But, yeah, I guess, the, I guess they're just betting on history with coaches. I think they went in order of the most experienced coach due to tenure length, not really anything because – I, you know me. Yeah, I've fought with a ton of <laughs> Oklahoma fans about how Ryan Day is a better coach. And they're like, oh, what has Ryan Day done that Lincoln Riley hasn't? And I'm like, he's won a playoff game. And like, there we go. Like, he's beat it. He's beat Clemson. He's beat a legitimate team. Uh, yeah. Oregon is the. Uh- uh, Oklahoma is the opposite for Ohio State. Ohio State, they get the benefit of the doubt until they do it. Oregon doesn't get the benefit of the doubt until they do it. I have to see it. Yeah, I have to see it. I think, like, Oregon's going to, I mean, I keep saying Oregon. Oklahoma is going to be good. I'm not a Spencer Rattler fan. Um, I'm, I know that they've had improvements in their defense, but I don't know how, you know, how big those improvements are. And, um, they could lose the Iowa State. I'm not predicting it. I, I still think they win the Big Ten, the Big Twelve. I'm tripping today. I still think they win the Big Twelve easily, um, but I still don't think they're on the level of Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. I I would listen to someone saying they would beat Clemson this year because I just don't think Clemson's going to be that good. But if we were doing playoff predictions, I don't have Clemson making the playoffs. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe, I, maybe they will. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to predict it right now. I know that first game, I, I think Clemson Georgia is going to tell a lot about how the season goes because that's going to lower the margin of error for both of them. But I, I guess at the end of the day, I, I'm ranked top four. Uh, not much you can ask for. You're going to have to prove it on the field anyways. So, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, take us into the next conversation topic here. Uh, keep this one quick because it's the same news we've been talking about but before we continue we thank you guys always for listening and now a word from our sponsors welcome back everybody i hope you guys are enjoying the show so far let us continue this past week uh network expansion has become a conversation topic again if you haven't seen this time with the idea that nbc and cbs will be bidding on the big 10 game package 
once the current TV network deal expires, they're going to be bidding on the 50% that ESPN has. I like it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'll get started again uh, from where you left off. So we're both excited about it. I, I think this is something that's going to be really big for the big 10. I think, you know, you know, the SEC going all in with ESPN. I know we discussed this on Twitter, uh, kind of going back and forth a little bit. I, I don't think it's great for them just being on one network. I don't think that's great for them kind of regionalizing themselves. I think it kind of helps adding Oklahoma and Texas to the ratings. But I was reading a story where Ohio State makes up the largest percentage of high-profile football games. Yeah. Uh and it's not even close. It's no, not even close. miles. It's by, I think they have it by like 50 games. Yeah, Ohio State's fan base, as we know, because you all are listening to this podcast, is very loyal. It's very deep. The alumni base is huge. Um, yeah, no. Ohio State fans show out all the time. And I, I think that's the point where I think the scheduling alliance, because I know CBS is going to bid on the Pac-12 TV rights as well. They're going to bid on the whatever ends up being the Big 12's TV rights. I know NBC is very interested in the Big 10. So the scheduling alliances are going to be absolutely uh, – huge in the future of college football discussion when it comes to marketing and TV deals and stuff. So the networks are running expansion talks. Fox specifically is running the big tens, the pac 12s that, and I think they've narrowed it down to alliances Uh, to me, getting on another network uh, kind of spreads out the, uh, I guess the amount of people it's going to reach the amount of different people it's going to touch. Cause you know, Yes, some people love Fox games. Some people love the CBS game. Some people love the NBC game package. But at the end of the day, I think what you're going to see is ESPN narrowing itself or Alabama SEC narrowing itself with one network is going to not be great for them because it's going to regionalize their sport even more. It's going to make the South one network. And I, I know we both know this. The South doesn't have a lot of major markets. So when you talk about ratings, what is going to drive us to the TV that normally would that won't anymore? Because if there's a game on CBS and I like the announcers more and it's two Pac-12 teams, I'm going to put that on over an SEC, ESPN. uh, I don't know how to say it, Uh, uh, but, you know, the I guess, you know, them just kind of kissing each other the whole time i guess i i don't know how to put it but you know they're just gonna be it's gonna be a love fest you know it's not gonna be a game it's gonna be them being like oh my god this is the best football ever and it's gonna annoy every other fan base yeah no i I, i've long said this that espn has an ohio state bias um and i understand that ohio state makes them a lot of money but in the way that they talk about ohio state you hear the bias and i know people's things like well espn has two ohio state alums at quarterback um yeah but no like the way that they talk about Ohio, like even like i remember watching 
the national the, the the semifinal games and the package for each team, Ohio State's was significantly the worst, and it was it was very negative too. Like I, they, I, I think ESPN has a I think ESPN has an Ohio State bias, really a Big Ten bias, maybe a bias um, to anything that's not the ACC or SEC, honestly. Yeah, um, and so personally, I don't care what network it's on as long as it's on my TV. I have an affinity for Fox's broadcast, and I really like Big Noon Kickoff. I know I'm the only person in the nation that likes watching Ohio State games at noon, but I'm impatient. I don't like to wait. I get to wake up, do my chores, go get food, grab some alcohol, and at 12 o'clock, Ohio State's on. Like I'm going to watch them whether they're at 3.30 or if they're at 8, but at 12, I get it over with, and then I'm pleasantly let's say buzzed by the time the rest of the games come on. And I enjoy them better because Ohio State won and I'm in a good mood. I'm hungry. I'm happy. Like, it's been a good day. Like, that works for me. Maybe it's because I'm 26 and I'm going to be up at 9 o'clock anyway. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, I like 12, but I think when you talk about individual um, individual networks and things like that, it doesn't affect me as much. I don't like CBS's broadcast as much, but I'm going to watch the game. I think where it affects is the money. Like everyone understands an open market is better. The ACC screwed themselves by giving ESPN their rights till 2036 because the only way they could get a media deal because they were the last one to get a network. I think the SEC... Well, I won't say that the SEC screwed themselves because they have Alabama and Georgia and they're always going to be fine financially. I don't think it was a smart decision, but they're going to make so much money that they're not going to care. I I just don't think it was the best decision. But when it comes to the the Big Ten, the Pac-12, honestly, the MAC, the AAC, everyone else, I think they need to leave ESPN and I think that's going to hurt ESPN. I don't think ESPN is thinking long term. I think, you know, they thought that we're ESPN, no one else is going to want to get involved. CBS involvement surprised me because they didn't seem to bid too much on the package and they were paying for the, you know, the SEC package. They weren't paying that much, which is why they wanted all ESPN. But it seems like they're ready to pony up the money to get that 50% of the Big Ten. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting because CBS wasn't paying that much because they had such a long contract before for the SEC games. So they were making a ton of money and still not divvying out that much. So that's where it's interesting to me because I know. I know Fox is going to give their money up for the Big Ten. They want Ohio State. They want as much Ohio State as they can get. And they own part of the Big Ten network. So they they just want it. They want the Big Ten to be a part of Fox. Like Fox is going – I think – I don't see any way that the Big Ten is not on Fox. The only thing with Fox is, is Fox going to have 51% or are they going to pony up the money to get it fully? Yeah. I don't think – I think either way benefits the Big Ten in Ohio State because the money that someone's going to have to pay for partial rights or full rights is going to be so like Ohio State may still make more money than the SEC when this is done with. Yeah, I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is the Big Ten is a much more financially viable conference. They make more money than the SEC. They have better sports outside of football that makes them more money. And Bigger brands, bigger markets. They already have a deal with CBS when it comes to college basketball. 
They already have games on that network regularly, so there's already a relationship. The one player that I was really surprised about was NBC. Uh, I know we both love to hate on Notre Dame. Uh, Everyone in the Midwest should love to hate on Notre Dame if they're not a Notre Dame fan because they're very full of themselves. And I would love NBC to pony up some money for part of the Big Ten package just so Notre Dame doesn't feel as special. I think that would be funny. Honestly, I think the biggest part of it is they all these companies now have their own like streaming and stuff like that. Um, and NBC with I think is Peacock, Peacock yeah. and CBS with whichever Paramount one they Plus. have Paramount Plus. Like they're doing with, with the NFL where they're having games broadcasted on TV and on their streaming and stuff like that. And I think they're realizing the mistake that they made. Well, CBS was technically in college football with the SEC, but I think they made realized like finally a hundred and something years in that college football is a very big market. It's not the NFL mainly because the NFL is one media deal, so they can charge whatever they want to and there's no competition. But getting into college football is good money. And so I think, I mean, these bidding wars are going to be crazy. If the numbers ever leak, because Ohio, like I keep saying Ohio State, the Big Ten well, we know why is negotiating these right now or will be shortly because you neg- like their their contract ends next year, the year after. So you negotiate a year or two before like these numbers are are being thrown around. If these numbers drop anytime soon, I promise you they're going to be ungodly like they're going to be some of the biggest numbers we've ever seen. Yeah, and uh, it's because, like you said, there's a direct open market and there's going to be bidding on it. And when you're bidding on fan bases like Ohio State, when you're bidding on markets like New York City, it's a lot of money going into your pocket. And the other thing with that um, is I think these I think, first of all, shout out to the Big Ten for being the first to get into network networking in a Big Ten network and for keeping their um, contracts short in the instance that like anytime someone else gets money, like the Big Ten's right behind it because they never do long contracts. And they're always Um, the second one. So they'll they'll see where the market's set and then they'll be able to say, well, guess what? In the SEC, you get Baton Rouge, you get New Orleans, you get Tuscaloosa, Alabama, huge market there, right? A lot of cable people (laughs) buying stuff there. Yes, you get all the Florida ones, but Florida is not a place that drives viewership regularly. Because there's a million teams in Florida. They're all split. And that is exactly where the Big Ten is smart because they're like, hey, we have some of the biggest markets in the country. We have like six or seven top population cities in our market. You've got Chicago, you've got Indianapolis, you've got Detroit, Michigan, you've got Columbus, which gives you Cleveland and Cincinnati as well. You've got all Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, half of Virginia. Yeah, so the list goes on. You get New York City from being uh having Rutgers in Piscataway that's like 40 minutes from the city and you get the whole cable package from them and I promise you they're not watching Syracuse they're watching Rutgers yeah (laughs) and it's just and I mean I'm just telling you New York's got a lot of Big Ten alums yeah I mean yeah definitely um I think the other thing that's important and I think if anyone's wondering like why are these why are they jumping in now and why are they jumping in for the Big Ten? First of all, the Big Ten is big business, no pun intended. And as much as people try to hate on the Big Ten, it's one of the surest bets out there. Uh, secondly, 
the Big Ten's media rights, I believe, start in 2023 or 2024. What is supposed to start in 2025? The playoff. If you get the Big Ten, if you can get the alliance with the Pac-12 and that kind of stuff, and even maybe with the ACC, that voting strength allows them to say, hey, hold on, we want our media partners involved with the playoffs. Yeah. Then you get to bid on the play like that. This is the long term strategy. It's not just about yeah. the big and then like it's we about said, the playoffs. And then we said a few weeks ago, this needs to turn into not just with ESPN. This needs to turn into one similar setup to the NFL, where two networks get the championships or the playoff games. You know, you can <laughs> rotation. Rotation. Yep. And then one gets the national championship. And I know these teams have seen the ratings go. And most of the time, they're very good. They're not near the Super Bowl. They're not near the AFC, NFC championship, just depending on who's in them. But if you get an Ohio State, if you get an Alabama, if you get – and I know I, I'm going to sound dumb saying this, but if you get like a Texas or a Notre Dame or a team that hasn't been I'm as watching good, Texas. Like, come on. Everyone's going to watch Texas Everyone's going to watch play. it. There's like thousands – there's millions of viewers that would come and watch Texas play in the college football playoff that would come and watch Notre Dame play in the college football playoff. And specifically – Ohio State is the biggest. You know, USC, if they ever get good again. These are the types of things that really drive value. And the playoff can get any better. And once you get to 12 teams, guess what? That opens the door for some of those worst teams. Think about it, right? Think about a playoff where we get Ohio State, Texas, USC, University of Miami, Alabama, Clemson, if they're still good, right? That's only five. Then you sprinkle in some other teams. Like if you just if you get the o- Oklahoma, if you get those six teams, you're breaking numbers. It doesn't even matter who the those are some of the biggest brands. You have Texas, you have Alabama or Georgia or both because the SEC is trying to get a bunch of teams in. Oklahoma. SEC wants four teams. I understand it's S four SEC teams, but they want four teams in. They all have a good year. You get all four of them. You get Ohio State and Penn State or another big brand. You get USC, you get University of Miami, Clemson, like that. The numbers are going to go crazy. Like that is a ratings bonanza. And you want to have a piece of that puzzle or that piece of yeah. that cake. You want a slice. And you wanna, it, even, even if it's the tiniest slice, yeah. you want a slice. Even if you get like one round of the first playoff, that's extra money that you bid on and you made. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, there's just so much money to go around, and there's absolutely no way that, that that all can go to ESPN. I think that's unfair to fans, to be honest, first of all. Yeah. I don't I don't like that the whole playoff is on ESPN and the playoff show and all that other kind of stuff. I think you get more out of it with more. The teams get more. The schools get more because they get more money. Um, there's just so much to go into. I think it helps the schedule. It helps you know, the you, sport just in general. Yeah. Like, I mean, even the TV schedule, because you're not trying to get all of these games. Like, you're not trying to fit all these games around the NFL schedule and things like that. Like, there's so many benefits to having as many as maybe not as many, but at least having two or three cable companies available. And one streaming company, like throw Amazon Prime in there, something for just some like streaming games, something that's not ESPN Plus because ESPN Plus streaming sucks 
It's getting better, but it sucks. Yeah, I um, have had a lot of there. trouble with UFC fights on ESPN+. Plus. Oh, my God. I don't want to talk about it. So, yeah, before we get into a conversation that's not Ohio State related, we're going to move forward here. And this is it. This is the penultimate list. This is the one everyone's waiting for. This is the one we've been waiting for. And guess what, guys? Me and Jordan were in full agreement on this list, except maybe one spot. But we're doing it together this time because, like, Overall, it's really tough to evaluate the quarterbacks, and I we've evaluated pretty similarly throughout this. But yes, our top five quarterbacks since 2005. How are you feeling about this today, Jordan, before we get into it? I'm feeling good. Uh, I think this series has been well-received, which was exciting for me because this is something I really wanted to do. Um, I think you know, quarterback is interesting because there's so many ways that you could do it. You could do it on best talent. You could do it on best pure quarterback. You could do it on best leader. You know, who gave you the best memories? Like, like I think the names are consistent. I really think there's only five or six names that you put, but depending on how you quantify it, you could have them in literally any order. Um, Like, I think that there's a clear number one. I think we agree on that, but like, Again, however you put it, technically you could change this order and, and anyone could be one through five, um, which I think is most exciting. I think for us, I, I, just looking at the list, and I don't know your entire thought process, but I think for us, it's a mix of like, who do we think is generally the best player? And then also who had the best moments. So like there may not be, you know, pure consistently consistency in how we rank them, but I do think it'll make sense. Yeah, that's, um, that's been the whole list for us. We've gone off 10. We've gone off stance. We've gone off awards. We've gone off moments, what they've meant to the teams they've played for. And I'm just going to play spoiler for the Ohio State Buckeye fans. No, Joe Bowserman is not number one on our list. Uh, he did start, and neither is Todd Beckman. So you guys get if you guys are Todd Beckman or Joe Bowserman fans, you guys can go take a seat. Uh, yeah, they're not going to be mentioned. Not- this is not the list. Um, I do want to shout out our quick honorable mentions really quick. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is not on this list, unfortunately. Uh, I just don't think you can put someone that's a one-year starter on this list. Um, you know, you could argue he had one of the better seasons or the best season ever. I mean, looking at some of the stats, you see how the game has changed. He had more, He had almost as many touchdowns in one season as some of these players have had in their entire career, yeah. um, which is just like ridiculous. Uh, so I want to give him a shout out because he deserves to be in the comp in, in the conversation. And if he would have played for two years, you know, there's a chance that he's number one or number two. But with just one year, uh, I, I don't think he made the impact and leadership and playing ability and things like that. Great quarterback, amazing season, wishing him all the best, even though he's on the Steelers, who I hate. Um but no, uh, Dwayne Haskins is not on this list. Yeah, stat-wise, probably the best on the list, individual season as a passer. But yeah. I just think the memories with that team, the loss to Purdue, uh, it was not fun to watch Dwayne Haskins no. games. Uh, not his fault. Not his fault at all. No, no. Uh, he definitely did the most with what he had. Him and Ryan Day made a great tandem. But no, he did not make the list. Uh, you want to get us started? Or you want me to get us started with number five here? Um, I can I can get we can I can get started. Uh, number five is Braxton Miller, who off pure talent I think is the second most talented quarterback we've ever had as just a pure like athlete he couldn't throw to save his life though um and you kind of see that in his numbers but Braxton Miller 
I mean, do we even have to say anything? Braxton Miller was the embodiment of Ohio State football um, from leader to like his coolness, his swag, which you can't quantify the electricity on the field, like his era the team, the place he made, things like that. Like it was one of the most enjoyable to watch. Um, he might sail a pass every once in a while, right? But then he would do, you know, something crazy, you know, break three tackles, run 50 yards. And it's like, yeah, he missed that 50 yard pass, but he just got the 50 yards the next play. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he, he was electric. I, I don't think Braxton Miller is a name that you could just say Braxton Miller and everyone understands we have to talk about him because that's what we're doing. But personally, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks. Um, and I think it was unfortunate. You know, it gave us JT Barrett, who is on this list, but I think it's unfortunate that he got injured. I um, mean, we didn't get to see him his his junior year, right? That was a junior year. Yeah, his junior year. I think it's unfortunate he got injured and we we didn't get to see him play quarterback anymore. Yeah, and one thing about Braxton Miller, and I know everyone brings up his inability to pass, especially his freshman year. He was not a great thrower of the football as a freshman. Uh, But every single year he was a passer, which was two, I guess. He got better. And I'm really disappointed we didn't get to see his development continue as a passer because of his shoulder injury. Because I think that year where we had JT start, uh, yes, we won the national championship. But I think that team would have been absolutely horrifying with Braxton Miller being able to throw the football. I think, and honestly, if that's the case, because I don't think he had a high draft profile, does he stay in 2015? As a senior? Yeah, no. So, and, wait. Yeah, I'm trying to do the math. I think he did start three years at quarterback, and then he hurt his shoulder and redshirted, and then his fifth, okay. his last year was as a wide receiver. In 2015? Yeah. So, he would, if he played in 2014, he wouldn't have been there in 2015. Yeah. Either way, I agree 100%. I would, that was just like me hoping and dreaming, like maybe we get back to back. But I think you're right in that in that instance that that would have been his last year if he wouldn't have redshirted. Um, I mean, I'm the stats guy. I love to bring in stats, so I'm just going to say him. Uh, two-time Big Ten quarterback of the year, which honestly they just need to name the Ohio State quarterback of the year award since its inception in 2011. We've only not won it twice. One year was um, – Connor Cook from Michigan State and the other year, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we've won it. I think it was Russell Wilson the first year of the award. Yes, it was Russell Wilson. What are you going to say about that? Um, So two-time Big Ten quarterback of the year, 5,295 yards, 59% Completion percentage could not pass to save his life. 52 touchdowns and 72 and 17 interceptions, which again, three year starter, 52 touchdowns. That's ridiculous. Just with like how quickly the game has progressed yeah. since then. Um, and then he had 3,300 yards and 33 touchdowns. So he yeah, accounted I mean, for 85 touchdowns in his career. So that's ridiculous. And the dude, it was the epitome of electricity on a football field. Uh, I, I mean, his, his he was just he was just a good football player like there's no other way to put it yeah he was there are some people who are created to be football players and he was one of them yeah like, and like the way he was able to move to the h-back position pretty effortlessly was something to behold like yeah he might not have been the best receiver when he got out there but just his game breaking ability was just second to none and that's why he's five and that's why i think i put him in over Dwayne because he also needs a lot of credit for keeping the program afloat especially after the luke fickle year especially when 
you know, the tides were kind of turning in the negative direction. He kept the team good enough that it interested in Urban Meyer enough to come in. And he saw the talent Braxton Miller had. And then we saw what happened after that. No, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, so impact-wise, it's absolutely insane what he did. Yeah, I, I think he, like, impact-wise, he's one of the most impactful um, that we've had, I think, because he really ushered in this new era for us. Yeah, and then so that takes us to number four, and this is uh, the only spot we disagree, but I think I'm going to change mine. I think you convinced me before the show. I think number four, I'm going to go with Terrell Pryor. Uh You convinced me out of it. Number three, I'm moving him up. I'm switching him around. I think Terrell Pryor is the fourth best. Very similar to Braxton Miller in not always the best thrower, but absolutely a dynamic athlete. I I think he was a little bit more refined as a thrower throughout his entire career. Uh, He had the unfortunate circumstance of being one of the most prolific modern type of quarterbacks and being stuck in a Jim Trestle offense. Oh, my God. That poor man. Criminal. (laughs) Criminal with the type of athlete he was. Like, put put Jim Trestle on charges for that. <laughs> like, and he's one of those guys. Same deal. Braxton Miller didn't get his final year due to Tattoo Gate. Uh, being part of the Tattoo 5, yes, we still hate the nickname, oh but it's an God. easy thing to reference. Uh, 6,100 yards, you're the stat guy. 57 touchdowns. 2,100 rushing yards. 17 touchdowns. Uh, did not lose much. And going into that final year, I think Ohio State, with that group, is favored to win the national championship. I agree. And up until recently, wasn't Terrell Pryor the best recruit we've ever had? Yeah, right? up until the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, when Terrell, when we get won that recruiting battle, I remember the hype. I mean, aside of who he was as a person, because we've all heard negative things about him as a person, as a player, there's not a bad thing that you could say about him. And I don't care about Tattoo Gate or Tattoo 5. Or that was stupid. And, he was driving around. Yeah, like, come on. Like, yes, we know he got the bag to come here. I don't care about any of that. He was a really... Uh, he was a really good quarterback. Um, he was stuck in Trestle's system. And I just, you know, I can't imagine Terrell Pryor and Ryan, and really Urban Meyer system, but especially a Ryan Day system. I mean, well, I think he wins the Heisman. I think he I think he does what no quarterback has done since Troy Smith and sweep the awards. Heisman, Davey O'Brien, Walter Camp. I think he does all of that. Think it's, about Think about this. Uh, if you just keep his stats the way they were going up, he would have been one of the only quarterbacks in college football history with 9,000 passing yards and 3,000. If you just kept the stats exactly how they were the year before. And that is insane if you think about it. 12,000 yeah. yards of total offense. Uh, probably would have had around 90 to 100 touchdowns total. I That is absurdity. And I know that's projecting. But that's just the level of talent he was. He was an all-time great football player. Easily. Um, And I think, you know, the tattoo gate has kind of stained his legacy or whatever. Um, Also, you know, for some reason, quarterbacks just don't tend to come back to Ohio State. We don't see them a whole lot for some reason. Like, you don't even – maybe it's because he's trying to get on with the NFL team. But, like, you don't see JT Barrett around a whole whole lot. You don't really see Troy Smith, Braxton Miller, whatever. Um, 
But I think Terrell Pryor is someone else that Ohio State needs to welcome with open arms, welcome him back, do the whole thing, Jersey retirement, like whatever it is that they do. Uh, but he's, I mean, easily one of the best players. And I, I again, I think a better system, an Urban Meyer or a Ryan Day system, or just not being canceled because of some stupid arbitrary rule that doesn't matter, he's high on this list. Yeah. Even though he couldn't throw. Because if we're being honest, he also could not throw. Yeah, and to put up the amount of yards he did passing and not really being the best thrower just says how good he was. Yeah. Like if he played quarterback in the NFL. Like he legitimately yeah. was a starter for a little bit. It's it's so it's so interesting how quick things change. Cause this is what, like 2010, 11 ish, right? Um could you imagine him and today's quarterback circuit? Could you imagine him getting the training that Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Quinn Ewers, CJ Stroud, the personal quarterback coach, the elite 11, the seven on sevens, like all of that year round training that every good quarterback gets now? Like, we joke that he can't throw, but honestly, in my opinion, that's not his fault. That's the biggest problem I've had with, like, the NCAA for a while is with running quarterbacks and especially, like, black running quarterbacks. They don't even teach them how to throw. You know, like, we had the same issue with um, with um, uh, the quarterback out of Baylor who uh, – RG3. Uh, yeah, like, you know, they didn't teach them how to throw. They're like, okay, here's your first read. If you can't get this one run, yeah. we're going to throw it 50 miles an hour and hopefully the wide receiver, 50 yards down the field, hopefully the wide receiver catches it. If he got the day to day training that quarterbacks get now, like every single quarterback has a, I don't know how the parents pay for it, but every single quarterback now has a personal quarterback coach. They go to all these camps, all this kind of stuff. If he got that, Scary. And I think I think that I this is a conversation. I, I think we can move on to number three because I think you wrapped it up very well with Terrell Pryor. Uh, Troy Smith, the Heisman winner, the award sweeper. Uh, this is a conversation I have with all my friends. Uh, Troy Smith was 15 years ahead of his time as a quarterback. Oh, yeah. And Terrell oh, yeah. Pryor's in that same boat. Troy Smith is way ahead of his time. Troy Smith is is just like Reggie Bush was ahead of his time. Um, like he was in the wrong era. Yeah, I could not imagine. Yes, Troy Smith still is undersized, but his arm talent, his athleticism was unreal, and he was in that traditional power eye. You know, hand the ball off thirty five times a game. You get a throw eighteen to twenty five times. You know. Uh, every route takes 10 minutes. You're taking eight-step drops, seven-step drops still. All that weird stuff they used to do, that just doesn't make sense. Get in the shotgun. Take the three-step drop. Come on, people. What are we thinking? Eight-step drops is such a foul concept. Like, just, like, thinking back, like, quarterback think- under center, taking eight-step drops. That's just so foul. Yeah, and, like... It just to me, I, I think the point you made is this dude swept the awards like his one year in 2006. And I know we like tend to avoid him, but he had two years after 2005. He fits perfectly in what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, now, his two best years were after 2005, 2005, 2006. So this guy, after winning the quarterback competition, took Ohio State to a national title. Yes, they ended up losing to Florida, but took him to a national title, went undefeated, won every single quarterback award you could get, got every single conference honor, was an All-American. You name it, Troy Smith was it. And I I think when you take into consideration what he was able to accomplish in his time at Ohio State with how he came in, uh, his career could not have gone better. No, 
Not at all. Aside, obviously, winning, but I mean, it was Urban Meyer. And we saw what Urban Meyer went on to do. Uh, and it's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yep. So, um, and I know we said, could you imagine, like, if Terrell Pryor, if Troy Smith, if these players got the round the clock training? But we don't have to imagine because they would be Justin Fields. Yeah, they'd be Justin like, Fields. They'd like, be like legitimately, they'd Justin be Fields guys. is the embodiment of them. Like, like it's like Justin Fields is that generation of like we had these quarterbacks who had one flaw, and then came Justin Fields, who was just as big, just as strong, could run. Maybe not as well. He wasn't as electric a runner, but his throwing evened it out. But again, like, I think maybe not all of them, but Terrell Pryor is probably a better athlete than Justin Fields. I, I don't know about Braxton. Like, I, don't, I think Justin Fields is Different a really good Different type of athlete Braxton is. He's a little huh? smaller. Braxton's a little smaller, so he's a little quicker. Yeah. But- like top end speed, I think, I Terrell, think they're the same. Yeah, Terrell Pryor may be the only one that I would like venture to say is definitely a better athlete. Terrell, I've yeah. heard he played I've receiver. Heard, yeah. Well, haven't you heard that Terrell Pryor could have went to the NBA if he wanted yeah. to? Like, wasn't he really, really good at basketball he was, too? He was an elite basketball recruit. Like, could have been was like an all state, all like pot, borderline all American basketball player. Yeah. So outside, like. So again, could you imagine Terrell Pryor with the? Uh, okay. Anyway, Troy Smith. Um, I mean, there's nothing you can say about Troy Smith. Like you said, 15 years against his time. I, I've said it again, and I, was, I said it once. I'll say it again. Could you imagine him and an Urban Meyer or a Ryan Day offense? Could you imagine him throwing to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson? Like. I think, you know, sometimes players come too fast and it's unfortunate, you know, like Reggie Bush was ahead of his time, which is why Reggie Bush didn't have the NFL career that he should have had because they wanted him to be, you know, like a 25, 30 carry back. But Reggie Bush in today's league would have been perfect. I mean, is he like he'd be the best running back in the league? Like we talk about Nick Chubb, we talk about Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. He's better than all of them. So it's unfortunate that Troy Smith didn't. You know, I don't want to say unfortunate because he still did everything. Yeah, that he should have done, and he was amazing. I just think it's unfortunate that he was 15 years too early because I also think he would have had a good NFL career if he was playing today. Because NFLs are starting to adapt to this style of quarterback too. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think his one of the biggest knocks on him was his height. That's not nearly as uh, risque as it used to be having a six foot five eleven quarterback. Nope. And Let's I think it's all stuff that would have been beneficial. Uh, so I, I kind of want you to lead into number two on the list. Uh, not because I don't want to get the vitriol, but because I – uh, don't want to be the one who calls the next guy better than the last three guys we talked about. <laughs> okay, so as uh, as a disclaimer, <laughs> we mentioned that it wasn't fully consistent and it wasn't just about talent. Leadership and time and that kind of stuff matters as well. So JT Bear is our second best quarterback in Ohio State history. And you can add us and you can call us stupid and all these other kind of things. I'm tired of people saying that JT Bear is underrated because he's not. No, he wasn't the athlete of these guys, but he was a really good quarterback. Um, He may have played a year too long because we had better quarterbacks. I will always make that argument. But JT was a good quarterback, and I think his last year would have been better if Urban Meyer stuck with him. 
and didn't do the, the back and forth. And if he didn't get the DUI, which was stupid, and it's totally on him. Um, but JT Bear is a really good quarterback. He's our number two for many reasons. He was a three-year starter. Um, he led – he didn't – you can say he didn't lead us to a national championship, but he put us in that position with his play and that bounce back from Virginia Tech. Um, he stabilized us when Braxton went down and nobody knew what was going to happen going into that into that camp. And no one really even knew the name of the quarterbacks. Like, I didn't know JT Barrett was on the roster from being completely yeah, honest. Yeah, when we came into that year, I thought – I had no idea who it was going to be. And everyone started saying JT Barrett's taking this competition over. I'm like – Three star from Wichita Falls, Texas. I'm like, it's not even from the white Wichita Falls. Yeah. So, I mean, he's three time Big Ten quarterback of the year, 9,000 yards, 63% uh, passing, 104 touchdowns, 3,200 rushing yards, and 43 touchdowns. I mean, he accounted for 147 touchdowns in his career. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know, like, the perspective of that, but there are very few players. And you can say whatever you want about his ability as a passer. You know who I blame that on? Tim Beck and Ed Warner. Because we saw what Tom Herman got out of him. And yep. we saw him at his peak against Penn State when Ryan Day was his coach. Like, there was a JT Barrett who was an absolute savage, who was an absolute dime dropper. And we've seen it. Uh, three-time Big Ten quarterback of the year. That doesn't happen from being bad. You no, know, he's got plenty all. of silver footballs to go around the Chicago Tribune player of the year. Uh, his stats like you don't get 9,400 yards passing, 3,200 yards rushing with being bad at football. You don't score no. that many touchdowns being bad at football. So what everyone says when you go around it, like his career, the Big Ten championships, he won them. Uh, you look at Terrell Pryor. Uh didn't have like JT Barrett had a better in longevity. He got us to a college football playoff. Uh, you know, Troy Smith is a tough conversation to have, but you look at the stats, you kind of have to give a nod to JT Barrett there. And like we both said, JT Barrett, for what he did poorly, knew who he was, never really trying to play outside of his game, and ended up being I think he has the most wins from a starter in Ohio State history. And probably. He has he has a lot of great moments attached to him. Yeah. And honestly, like I hate making excuses for people and JT Barrett had his limits, but every negative thing I can think about JT Barrett, except again, the DUI, I, you can attribute to the coaching staff. Um, wasn't JT Barrett the quarterback for the Michigan State loss? Yeah, and it's because they ran him 30 times and, and not didn't give Zeke the ball. Like, what? Um, the Virginia Tech loss, I mean. It was his first that, start or, or second start. You can't. And Virginia Tech is, they have occasional good years. Um, what are some, like, JT, everything. And, again, you can't excuse the DUI, but the quarterback controversy of that year and looking, everyone says it. Everyone knows it. When you're a quarterback and you're in a competition, you want to win and know that you're the starter and not that if I have a bad play or a bad pass, or if I throw an interception, they're going to bring another quarterback in the game. Every quarterback and every quarterback coach of his salt says that that is negative, which is why Ryan Day is emphasizing, I want a quarterback. I don't want a competition. I want to end it. We're going to pick him. He's going to be our guy. Yep. He's not reopening it. 
that has a negative effect on a lot of people. And uh, thinking for JT Barrett, yes, Cardell Jones led you, but you've already beat him once. You were the quarterback. You just happened to get injured, and now you're fighting for your job. And then you go into the season, you think you win it, and you're fighting anytime you have a bad pass, anytime you have a bad play, this guy goes in. That yeah. is not healthy. That is not good for your mental health. That is not good for your playing ability. You start to press because you're like, I need this touchdown. Because if I don't get this touchdown, he's going to put Cardell in. Um, and with all of that mounting on him, he's still, you know, like what could, what could his stats have been if he did if he had that full year as quarterback and didn't have to think about a quarterback competition? Yeah, and then like I, I think I don't think he gets enough credit for 2016 when, like, yes, we got beat 31 to zero in the playoff, but like, wasn't that Deshaun Watson? Yeah, it was, and uh, an all-time great Clemson defensive line. But on top of that, JT Barrett and Curtis Samuel carried Ohio State from nothing and should had no business being that good that year yeah. to a college football playoff. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. the stats speak for themselves. JT Barrett's legacy speaks for itself. And when we remember all the quarterbacks from this time period, I think his legacy is going to grow with more positive lights around it as we get further away. Because I think it has to. It really should. He made two college football playoffs. Like if it doesn't, it's unfortunate. Like that's crazy. That's like that's not a small that's not a small thing at all. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> and that takes us that takes us here to our final guy. And this is kind of what we do, isn't it? We kind of take all the other stuff we see and like about everything else and put it into one player, and that's usually been our number one. And I am going, since it's your segment, I'm going to let you take it away. So uh, for the last player in this segment, uh, our, our best quarterback of since 2005 is Justin Fields. Um, and if anyone thought that me and Chris, of all people, were going to select anyone from Justin Fields, this must be your first episode and welcome to the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was no way Justin Fields was not going to be our best quarterback. And I think we've already started talking about it. He was every he was Braxton Miller, Troy Smith, and Terrell Pryor, and JT Barrett all together. Yeah. He had the leadership. He had the toughness and the grit of JT Barrett. He had the running skills uh, of Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor. But he had the one thing that none of them had. He had the arm and the accuracy. Yeah. Um, to the level of Dwayne Haskins, like the best passing quarterback we've had from an arm talent standpoint since then. So. Like you said, I think he's the most talented. I think his accolades speak for itself. He made two college football playoffs. I don't think there's an argument really here. No, I don't. I don't even think it's close. Um, and he should have made two national championship games. It's it's a it's a crime that he didn't. They robbed us against Clemson, uh, and everyone knows that he outplayed Trevor Lawrence in both of those games individually. And football is a team sport. Sometimes the ref play, some things happen, targeting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I don't think it's close. I think overall talent, like you said, he's the most talented. He had like literally. Justin Fields still, which is why I, we talked about this before. I don't know if we mentioned on the show. We're basically converted Bears fans. Like, I still root for the Colts. They're my number one team. But my number two team is now the Bears because of Justin Fields. Like, yes. if he called me and said, get off the couch, come run some routes with me, and I'm fat and out of shape, I'm running routes. I'm running like, those I'm, routes. To, I'm running those routes at second. Like, I'm, I, like, he's a quarterback that makes you want to run through a wall for him. 
And, and I think that's one of the best things you can say about a player. We talked about it last week, and I, I our bias is showing a little bit with Justin Fields being our favorite quarterback. But, like, I have never – I'm not a big jersey guy. Uh, I'm with you, jersey on the wall maybe. But I, I don't wear jerseys. I will buy a Justin Fields Bears jersey at some point in time. Yeah. Like, it's going to be in my closet. And that's not a slight at my favorite team. It's just how much I appreciated what Justin Fields did at Ohio State. He made me the biggest fan of Justin Fields every single time he talked to the media, every single time he went out and played on the field. Even in his bad games, they were never bad. He got up. He didn't ever he'd sulk around. He made the next play. And he the took Michigan a, play. Yeah. I, I will literally never forget that play. Yeah, he beat Michigan. Like, there's not a single thing from Justin Fields you couldn't have asked. Unfortunately, he didn't win a national championship. But like I said with Braxton Miller, like I said with JT Barrett, like, these guys were stepping stones in what has been built. Like, now we have Justin Fields. Now we're getting guys like C.J. Stroud, these top-end quarterback prospects, because they've seen what can be developed with Ryan Day. You know, so, like, you look at that, you look at how it's recruiting, you look at Quinn Ewers. This is all because of these guys that we just listed. These guys have built a reputation. And, yes, not all of these guys were NFL quarterbacks, but they are great college quarterbacks. Like, I can look at the guys on the list. The only one with an NFL skill set was Dwayne, and he's still there. He's still playing. He had a good preseason performance last time he was out. Justin Fields is the ultimate quarterback Ohio State's ever had. And his recruiting ranking says it all. He lived up to it in every single way possible. And in a transitional period in the program's history when Urban Meyer had to step down, he was the one who was the parachute that helped us stay guided, you know. And I I think that's a perfect point because I think people forget the, you know, I think people forget the, I don't want to say fear because fear is such a strong word, but fandom is strong. Like the fear that we felt as fans with Urban Meyer stepping down and that scandal and and not really knowing Ryan Day. He's a young coach. He's only been an offensive coordinator for a year or so. Like where we were going, we have all this talent and it almost feels like it never happened. Like it literally feels like it never happened because how smooth the transition was with Justin Fields, how good we were immediately. And I mean, think about it. Like, I know we try to stick to Ohio State. We try to stick to college. The electricity that Justin Fields provides, his jersey before he even stepped on the field for preseason was one of the highest selling jerseys, not among rookies in the NFL. Yeah. When you watch Bears games, they all have Justin Fields jerseys. Like I was listening to a Bears podcast because again, I'm a I'm a, a Bears fan now, and they the podcast does this cool thing. You have the athletic anyone who has the athletic you should listen to it. It's called Hogan Johns or something like that. They do this cool thing where they have a voicemail line and fans get to like leave voicemails and they play it on the show. The excitement and, and the like one guy was joking. He was like, I've seen enough. Give Justin Fields the gold jacket. Like the way this city of Chicago has, you know, embraced Justin Fields is the same way that Columbus embraced him. And it's the same way that Georgia should have embraced him if he if he was really given a chance. I think he everything that he was as a player, he's that as a person and as a leader. Um, and there's just not a bad thing that you can say about him. And he, I don't know how anyone could think he's not number one on this list. Yeah, and like I know we're both big stack guys, and unfortunately he got a shortened season last year. Only ended up playing eight games, so you can't really 
take that fully into consideration. But his per game stats are up there with everybody. His touchdown to interception ratio is absolutely absurd. His 15 rushing touchdown. He's got 78 touchdowns to nine interceptions in two years as a starter. They're not two full years. It's like a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, his his running stats are the thing that, like, pales behind everyone else. But that's because he only ran when he had to. Yeah. And and that's really the only negative is sometimes he, he tried too hard to make a play with his arm. And you wish he would run a little bit more. But... Just to say the stats, you know, two-time Big Ten quarterback of the year, uh, 5,300 yards, 68% passing. He was by far the best passer. Like you said, you, you said 78 to 9, but he had 63 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. And it would and it really would have been lower if he wasn't pressing while he was injured with Northwestern. Yeah. He had, what, two or three interceptions that game? Yeah, I mean, most his of them came, came his last season when he didn't know yeah. who was going to be on the field with him. And it was in a pandemic-shortened season that wide receivers were injured. There was a lot going on. Offensive line was injured. There wasn't a real running game. Like Again, I hate making excuses for people, but that's very much an anomaly if you watch all of his games. Like I'm sure everyone listening to this has. Uh, and 876 rushing yards and 15 touchdowns. I mean, he was everything that you wanted. And I think one thing that's important with these players, and when you do something like that, is memories, what memories you have. And so I'm going to ask you this, and just because I'm thinking of myself, my three biggest memories in the Michigan game are Justin Fields coming off that hit and throwing a touchdown, Chris Olave, his just his whole performance, the block punts, the touchdowns, all of that, and JT Barrett getting that fourth down. Yeah. And I, you can call it recency bias. You could call it whatever. But those are three of the memories that live in my head. And I think that that shows with Justin Fields and JT Barrett being one and two and Chris Olave being our number one receiver. Like they not only had the talent, good people, the skills, but they also gave you the moments that you'll never forget. And that we'll probably tell our kids about. Yeah. I hate when you really encapsulate all the lists. I think moments is kind of the defining factor. And, and a lot of our tiebreakers came down to the moment and impact they had on their teams like Curtis Samuel was my number one I believe wide receiver because of just him carrying it you know like his moment against Michigan played such a big role in me like loving that guy like so I guess like you said like Justin Fields beating Clemson was one of the most cathartic feelings I've ever felt and like I'll be forever thankful to Justin Fields for that memory in my life like celebrating with my friends, celebrating with all the people. Like, holy crap, we did it. We kicked the crap out of this team. Bring on Bam. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing. I mean, you said it perfectly. I, I was just thinking of Michigan memories, but all of the memories with Justin Fields um, and the different things. And all, like you said, when you think of this entire list, it's memories. Like, if we went through, we could do a whole other podcast of just our number one guys and spend hours just m- the memories that we have of these players and different things like that, especially the recent ones. Because unfortunately, you know, we're not in our 30s and 40s. So some yeah. of these guys we don't really remember. Like, Troy Smith, I was 11. I don't remember everything about him. So there's a little recency bias, but the memories are some of the biggest things. And Justin Fields has everything in the package and he gave us the memories. Yeah. So I think that's the best way to wrap up this show. This is our last show before the season starts. We wanted to give you guys a lot of fun, a lot of conversation topics. We kind of went through everything today. Um, 
an homage to Justin Fields is exactly how I pictured ending this offseason as we take on a new era and usher in a new quarterback. I think that was a perfect way to go. I, I agree. And so to end the homage to Justin Fields, and we, you know, we're both wishing him the best in his NFL career and hoping that he continues to come back to Ohio State. But I'm also excited for this new era. I, we talk a lot about young guys, and I'm excited for the new legends, right? You know, I'm excited to see a lot of players build their legacy against Michigan, which is why it was unfortunate that we didn't have that game. I'm excited to see who steps up against Michigan. I'm excited to see who makes that play and that game that's a little too close that shouldn't be, um, you know, whether that's C.J. Stroud, whether that's Travion Henderson, whether that's, um, you know, Denzel Burke, whoever that is that makes that play to start their legacy at Ohio State and to become one of these players that, you know, someone like us is gushing about on a podcast next year in five years. Um, I think this is. I think that's the most exciting part of this season. Some people are scared by the youth, but I'm excited. I'm excited. I think this is going to be an unbelievable year for Ohio State fans, for us to follow, for us to cover. It's going to be extremely fun. And I guess that takes us into where can we find you, Jordan, on the internet? Uh, you, you can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. And you can listen to me, uh, obviously, every Friday here on Buck Off, but you can also listen to me and my friend Dante every Monday on the I-70 football show. Yeah, make sure you guys check that out because he and Dante have put in a lot of work in giving you guys the best content in previewing the Big Ten. And make sure during the season you guys are staying up with that because they're going to give you a lot of information on what's going on around the conference and as well a little bit more on college football too. Uh, yes, you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. Uh, you guys can find the show at Buck Off Pod. Uh, getting into it with some Georgia fans. I'd love some backup next week as the season gets closer. So make sure you guys are following me there. And then make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. I've seen a few ratings pop up. Uh, keep giving us those ratings. Five stars. Appreciate it as always. Uh, shout out me and Jordan. We're here to give you guys great content and have some fun while doing it. Never too serious, but serious enough to make you guys care. And lastly, uh, make sure every Friday you listen to us before the games. And then every Saturday night, we're going to be releasing an instant reaction. So listen to us then as well. You get us before the game, after the game, and then you get Jordan almost three days in a row. So yeah, you get you get you get to hear us pound our chest on Fridays, and then find out if we were right or wrong on Saturday. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, and that is going to be it for me here today. This is your host signing out. Uh, adios, everybody. Go Bucks. <laughs>